Okay, Lee. Uh, uh, we have we Lee with Lee, Lee Fillingness. Fillingsness. Fillingsness. Yep. Fillings. Everybody misses the S. Yep. <laughs> uh, as you know, begin the show. Guests, guests to dedicate it. So, what would you like to dedicate the show to before we get started? Um, you know, I'd like to dedicate the show to uh, any of the charity efforts helping uh, clean up in Minneapolis, St. Paul, Wonderful. and all those uh, uh, communities that have been affected by the, shall we say, the late unpleasantness. Why don't we put the links on there, too, and the information uh, of how they can help, the, like the Lake Street Projects and all that stuff. Yeah, Lake Street Projects. Um, I've been doing a lot of stuff, actually, at uh, Holy Trinity Lutheran Church uh, just off of Lake Street in St. Paul. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, they've been doing really good stuff, uh, just distributing food to everybody. Um, for those of you who can't see me, I'm an enormous person, so I've been actually helping load all the food in when I can get down there. And uh, they've got... Uh, lines of people that kind of just hand off kind of like a old bucket brigade yeah but they all know when something huge comes in they just hand it to me and i walk it all the way back (laughs) and they're all happy about that and i get my workout for the day all right well there's wonderful dedication <laughs> All right, we're back with Lee. Uh, we're just talking uh, about. Well, thanks for coming. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. And it's thanks for coming again because usually I'm the tallest person on the podcast, but you've superseded this, and this is an uncomfortable position for me. I I, I feel that uh, for a while I was working uh, at a restaurant downtown as the wine steward, and uh, I had some of the Vikings and some of the Timberwolves as my regulars, and uh, I'm six foot seven, two eighty. That's okay. I'm rarely the shortest person in the room. And I'm rarely the smallest person in the room, but when those guys show up, I am one or the other, and occasionally both. Oh. Yeah. Uh, what was his name? Uh, Kinney. Uh, that dude had me by two inches and at least 50 pounds, and I have not felt small since since high school. <laughs> and it's, you know, the because, right, because you, when you're a tall person, you don't really around other tall people and you always kind of want to compensate. You want to might be nice and always bend down or be yeah. third level. And by the end of the day, you're like, my back. Yeah. Well, I'm like six two, yeah. so it's it's a little bit more my range, but yeah. 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 Well, and for me, I don't look up at people. I, I look <laughs> at them, and I look, you know, physically, I look down uh, to to meet people's eyes. Yeah, so dude, when yeah. I'm looking up at anybody, it's just the weirdest. It's you it, let you yeah. let them know that you're losing your hair up there. Over there. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Fortunately, I'm tall enough; nobody can tell that I'm losing mine. <laughs> Uh, before we get started, you'll also do some podcasts, and I want to mention that before we get started. Oh, yeah. So you do some, you're do you a podcaster as well. How could other people find your shows? Um, well, if you go on um, Apple, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, look up uh, the Fandom Podcast Network. It's a group of podcasts. Fan- what is it again? Fandom Podcast Network. Okay, Fan- Fandom Podcast Network. Yeah, um, it's a it's actually a group of podcasts that we're, we're all under one banner. Uh, but I'm the host of Blood of Kings. It's specifically devoted to Highlander, which I'm kind of a huge fan of. I get it. So, so if people find fan that find the name of that, yeah, they'll find under that umbrella the individual shows. It yeah. Oh, and um, and we all kind of guest star on each other's shows if we know anything at all about it. Um, yeah. You know, I I've been doing a lot of stuff on what we call Couch Potato Theater, and it's basically. Uh, movies that nerds nerd out about. Um, one just posted today. We did uh, 
the most recent Punisher movie. Uh, we're talking about Ray Stevenson's Punisher. Uh, actually, I like it for how Me too. bad it is. I, re- I it, but it yeah, is. Yeah, but it's it's good too. Like I know, <laughs> yeah. I know. It's it's how I envisioned the Punisher. You know, from the comic hanging books. upside down from a chandelier and spinning around shooting. Yeah, everybody. and, yeah. and cut somebody's head off with a knife. Which, as somebody that does cutting, you know, professionally at one yeah. point. It's hard to do with a sword, much less a knife, and that, that's just kind of cool. And then the second thing he does is shoot the guy's wife. <laughs> so you know you're in for an actual Punisher story instead of well, somebody you, wearing a skull shirt. I think we're kind of th- you remember Marvel Knights, the the Knights oh, yeah. with a K, which was edgier comics and it had like Ghost Rider yeah. and Punisher, and it was very much for the darker, really that benefited the yeah, Punisher, the, the street level the fighters. Street, yeah. Yes, and that's. What I think they were trying to project was the Marvel Knights Punisher rather than what we've seen before. Yeah. Yeah. And it would have been cool to actually include Nick Cage's um, Ghost Rider in that. I enjoyed those. Those were horrible. The second one was even worse, but the, it, to have that continuity would have been kind of fun. Yeah. Some kind of Punisher and Ghost Rider always seems like a fascinating team up. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, the skull logo, <laughs> you know, they, they can argue over who did it best. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Marvel Knights was a great I mean, attitude. I love the best thing about that Punisher movie is, of course, when he goes through the, the glass shredder and he's going to yeah. eat up and he goes, my face. Like all the stuff that's happening yeah. to him, but my, my face. face. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite part, though, is when uh, after he gets done interrogating the guy, after shooting somebody midair doing parkour with a rocket launcher, he throws a guy off of a roof. He lands on a spiked fence. And as the guy is slowly breathing his last breath, he just jumps off that same roof and snaps his neck with a boot <laughs> as he's landing. He's it's like impatient. Yeah. yeah. And then he just gets in a fight with uh, Colin Salmon um, and, you know, just a good alley brawl. So there was no apologies in that movie, and I loved it. I you know, we, I do a, I do a YouTube channel with Kyle Gothy. It's yeah. called Nick uh, Kyle and Nick on Film on YouTube. Um, and Kyle's a little bit younger than us, and he kind of like, what kind of movies that are kind of under the radar do you want to talk about? And I brought up like 97's The Screamers. Oh, love it. I know. And that's another one that was kind of a big hit. It's a cult classic now. Mm-hmm. But for, for them, it's very dark and gritty, and I don't think people are ready for that kind of – movie but every time i yeah. recommend it people seem to enjoy it for how nihilistic it is <laughs> yeah uh reminds me of another one about the same time um soldier i just rewatched that for a podcast the kurt russell one yeah yes and but he doesn't say a word. he doesn't say a word yeah he says like 15 <laughs> and he got a you know a 10 million dollar paycheck so uh he's getting paid about six hundred and sixty six thousand dollars a word so it was a man it was one of those movies that when you watch soldier you're like what Stallone wasn't available because that's something yeah. Stallone would have done. <coughs> but to see Kurt Russell do it, I think kind of. Yeah. Well, and that he did it so understated. Yeah. Uh, he very much was a soldier. He wasn't an action hero. Uh, he had orders. He had uh, a standard operating procedure. He had a whole lot of things that worked as, as you're watching it and you're watching a soldier. And he would have looked at home right next to um, Jeremy Renner in The Hurt Locker. Without looking it up, I think he did this after Stargate. Yes, he did. That was uh, three or four years later. Yeah, so I think that was like Stargate was like his audition tape to do this movie. Yeah, and oh man. <laughs> hey, I look great in a military beret, so hire me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and that was a that was just a fun movie too, and spawned a great couple of series. I know you and I we because a lot in the '90s there are so many movies that are just gone and nobody talks about that. I yeah. just I greatly appreciate them. And I think that it's sad because it's now even more difficult to find because I brought up the movie Screamers, which was accessible at any movie theater, every yeah. rental. But now when people want to look for it, you can't. 
it's still like a streaming can't find it a hop skips some places and yeah stuff. yeah yeah and I, I think i don't have that one on uh, dvd so it's hard i mean everybody liked uh what was the ray fines movie uh, uh strange days and that was oh, a great yeah. that was a great sci-fi movie yeah great and, concept and uh the when they killed uh what's her name and she's like wearing the mesh and like experiencing yeah. her own murder from the eyes of her murderer that was that was a mind twist that was something i yeah. you know as as a guy that you know loves movies so much that i'm in them i'm always intrigued by something i've never seen before and that one mentally i was not prepared for what that meant i mean it was like it was like already in learning it's talking about youtube and virtual reality yeah. and how addicting can be and how people can't divorce it from reality and people get sucked yeah. into it and all this stuff <laughs> and, and a great movie you know and then they had a murder mystery involved with it you're right yeah because yeah, that came out summer of 95 i think yes right yeah. when we all that um what everybody calls tech noir came out yeah because yeah. oh yeah because that was also the summer of uh johnny mnemonic <laughs> Which, as much as everyone makes fun of it, you all loved it when they remade it into Elysium. It's the same plot. It is same kind of the notes. <laughs> and they've got uh, Charlotte Copley playing uh, Dolph Lundgren's role. Even. Like, it's just, it's crazy. It, it, Elysium is kind of, yes, Johnny is almost put it back in the oven and bake, yeah. set the bake a little bit more. And come put out, Matt Damon yeah. in it. Because, yeah. I mean, Matt Damon was John Wick before John Wick. And now Keanu Reeves is John Wick. There was great techno, uh, the, the whole style of tech noirs back then, like, 13th floor and oh, yeah. uh, even free I would put free jack but that's a little yeah. earlier well uh, what was the one um, kind of uh, Russell Crowe's breakout uh, he played Sid 6.1 uh, Virtuosity yes that also came out that summer and it could probably not be difficult to find yeah. I should go down and write my whole paper on the emergence of tech noir how great it was in the early 90s and how it bled into how, yeah yeah well and it so much of it was on the money about what we're experiencing now. <laughs> and so much of it is, you know, fantastical because, I mean, you look at Hackers, also 95. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and we don't quite live in that world, but it was an interesting look at uh, something that, you know, we're living in is, you know, people, you know, making money illicitly off of uh, online Everything. Right. I think the hackers, I mentioned, why physically go rob a bank? We can just do it right here in a comfort yeah. of our home. Yeah. yeah. And then you don't have the uh, the weapons charge. You don't have assault and battery and all that other stuff. And Yeah. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you still catch yourself doing, like, old movies more than new movies, or you try to keep it balanced? Um, I try to keep it balanced. Uh, the... Going through, uh, you know, the shutdown like we did, I actually did go back to a whole bunch of old movies and TV shows that yeah. I always loved. Uh, but I'm, I like seeing things move forward. Uh, I like seeing what the next step is, uh, you know. And, you know, there's always something crazy and fun coming out. Uh, yeah. And I'm also one of those guys, like, I will remember a movie, you know, weird little details forever. So seeing it again just kind of is you know, some sort of nerd confirmation bias. Whereas when I see something new, um, I can kind of experience it. Uh, one of my big things, I worked in a movie theater for a long time and the night before anything premiered, we had to put the prints together and watch it to make sure it was okay. Yeah. So I saw this is every when it movie. came out when it phys yeah. we had physical, no digital. Yeah. yeah. I, I saw everything, um, without a review. And so good, bad or ugly. I remember being blown away by crimson tide. I remember, um, I remember we put together Pulp Fiction and we called up the distribution house 
and said, hey, I think there's something wrong with our print. And they're like, did this happen? Yes. Did this happen? Yes. And then this? Yes. Yeah, you actually did that right. That's how the thing is. And we <laughs> sat there. We're at a crappy theater in Des Moines, and we watched it again. And I realized this is something brand new. Cinema changed at that moment. I, yeah. I took my dad to it, and I was 17. Like, that's not a fun movie to watch with your dad. And my dad came out of it. He's like, yeah, some of that I wish I wasn't sitting with my son with. But that was a, you know, that movie was... That's a moment where cinema changed. I was like a teenager too when that came out, and my parents were like, "Yeah, go see that movie." They had no grasp, yeah. and they were like, "Then they asked me, you know, as a teenager, should we go see that?" And I go, "You wouldn't get it." Like yeah. I knew right then and there it was something advanced for filming. Yeah, yeah. Like my dad got it. My I knew my mom wouldn't like it, and she's confirmed that many times over. <laughs> uh, and she generally likes gangster movies, but you know that one goes a little bit further than most. But right. Uh, yeah, I, I've always, though, I try to see things as quickly as possible. I, I still go to every fan premiere I can, you know, that 6 o'clock Thursday, um, you know, and before anyone can ruin it with spoilers or their own opinions or, uh, you know, George Lucas or whoever they're angry at, uh, you know, they kind of rip them apart. I, I like to just see a movie and enjoy it. Um, one recently I just rewatched again with some friends, uh, the most recent Terminator movie. Really good. It was a uh, dark fun. fate. Yeah. yeah, it was a great movie. It didn't make a lot of money, and everyone. Uh, I remember seeing people complain about it, but hadn't seen it. I, right. I, I I watched it, and people were like, well, what what was it like? I go, you're not there to award winning screenplay. That's not the yeah. whole. The plot is not the story's always going to get jumbled. But I liked the action sequences and the plausibility, and yeah, yeah bringing back some of the old characters. And well, and I think having Linda Hamilton as no longer a victim. Yeah, because uh, I mean, she definitely wasn't the first one. She she's the the damsel in distress in the first one. She really is a victim of PTSD in the second one, and uh, you know, I thought uh, the character of Sarah Chronicle was great in the Chronicles, but this version of Linda Hamilton's uh, Sarah Connor was tough. She had been through hell and got out the other side, and this is, um, you know. Aside from, you know, people complaining, oh, you know, they're being PC by making a female-driven action movie. It's like, that is, would be the future that it is. And, you know, we have, uh, you know, I have as many female stunt performer friends as I do males. And they should have fun jobs, too. Right, They yeah. should be able to, to have kick-ass fights, and they should be able to cheer for, you know, somebody doing something other than just a jump kick. Because oh. when we were coming up, that's how women on TV that won fights, they would just do a jump kick, and that was the magic winning move. I can't remember who was that one, the female stunt woman that Caratino likes. Uh, Zo oh, Zoe, uh, Zoe Bell. Zoe yeah. Bell, yes. I think she's one of the first ones that kind of became like a stunt woman stardom. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she, and then, um, you know, Lexi Alexander uh, directed the Punisher movie we were talking about just a moment ago. Yeah. Uh, really good there. Uh, yeah, people forget it was a woman that, di that yeah. directed the Punisher War Zone. Yeah, the people that complained about it being, you know, uh, alpha male and, you know, misogynistic. It's like, this is a female director. Uh, and sometimes the world is just dark um, and we see it through whatever lens we like. But, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed watching that. Uh, I honestly liked the most recent Ghostbusters movie. Um, you know, before everyone complained about it um, as its own thing, it was very funny. Uh, uh, and I thought Hemsworth was absolutely hysterical as... They needed somebody yeah. like that. That, yeah, they needed yeah. Chris Hemsworth to be there. Well, and I think also, like, I love seeing Melissa McCarthy play somebody that wasn't just her ter her typical horrible person. Right. Because that's her yeah. shtick, and it has been for a long time. And then she did the Michael Molly thing where she's, like, trying to be Roseanne but not be Roseanne. This was... <laughs> yeah. 
and you know, as somebody who gets typecast as bad guys, you know, you, you go where the work takes you. But I really liked that movie, and I think people should watch it again. And you know, try to keep you know, Venkman, Stance, uh, 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 Spangler, and uh, Winston out of their heads, and just watch, watch the movie it. and enjoy it. Um, God, I haven't seen that long. It came out like two, three years ago. Yeah, uh, twenty sixteen. Twenty sixteen. That yeah. long ago. Okay. Yeah, um, my math is way off. Uh, is there anything you looking forward to that's not come out yet? I mean, a lot of things have been pushed aside. Is there like a big movie this year that you're looking forward to? Really looking forward to Bill and Ted's Three. Uh, <laughs> absolutely loved that movie. Uh, the first one when it came out. Uh, the second one, I still have the uh, DVD that you got if you ordered a special pizza from Pizza Hut back in 2000. <laughs> uh, and I've refused to, to upgrade it. Everything else in my collection has been upgraded to Blu-ray. But that one, it's just so cool. Like, that's the way that you should have that one. And the in the world we live in, I love the idea that good music is what changed everything. Instead that's of the whole, fighting, yeah, that's protesting, a, yeah. uh, arguing, you know, getting angry on Facebook. Uh, there are moments in music where we can all just kind of shut up and be like, yeah. And, you know, that last song in uh, Bogus Journey was God Gave Rock and Roll to Everyone. I mean, come on. Like that's the that's the message that I I think we need right now. So that's the one I'm most looking forward to. Uh, I think even George Carlin, if he was around, probably will come back for a third time with yeah. them. If he was still around, he, even though he looked like he was, yeah, he did the he did the in the first one he did that like I'm annoyed doing it almost, but I'm happy kind of doing it. Yeah, and then yeah. the second one, he kind of, I I think that was one of those movies like you couldn't understand it until you saw it. You can't really, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, you could think that it was just, you know, watching the trailers the first time it came out. Uh, I remember my parents wouldn't let me go see it because they thought it was just a bunch of stoner dudes, like a young Chich and Chong. Right. Then we saw it um, on video, and it's like, oh, this is kind of a positive message, you know, nothing too overly sexualized. You know, they, they right. have one beer each when they're at the uh, the Old West Bar where they pick up Billy the Kid. Like, there's really no misbehavior. Yeah, because I think it, back then when it, the, the first one came out, there was a lot of... T- teenage John Hughes movies that had yeah. some dealing with some serious stuff. So when then Bill and Ted's Act Adventure, they were almost like, no, my kid's not going to see like Fast Times Part 2. I'm not taking yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. And it was just this very lighthearted and, you know, again, music saved the world. Yes. What a, what a great idea. I like that, yeah. Do you do, do you play music? Um, I used to. Um, I played guitar for a long time. I still do. Um, most people think that it sounds like beating a cat with a guitar. But... Um, <laughs> I, uh, my dad was a musician, uh, big musical family. I still sing from time to time, but, uh, I had a long career as a fighter, uh, about 15 years in the men's heavyweight division. And I came out the other side, I can walk a straight line, but when you punch people my size, that ha- does a number on your hands. So, uh, my dexterity, I can kind of strum along and I've learned how to cheat a lot. Okay. So everyone who knows how to play guitar is like, wow, he only knows how to cheat. And everyone else is like, oh, he, I guess he's pretty good. <laughs> So you still got a guitar? Yeah, I've still got a couple. I've got this beautiful um, uh, classical gu- guitar that I bought when I was in Spain. Um, you know, just very easy to maintain. And then I've yeah. got a old uh, 62 Fender Strat reissue um, that I can't play because the neck's too small. But I can't bring myself to get rid of it because it's beautiful and it matches my 62 Thunderbird, my I, other obsession. <laughs> have you ever done the hilarious joke that you broke your G-string? You ever done? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, well, my G swing always stays in place. Gentlemen. Well, we, we, I, when I was in a band and we did a live show, and my guitar player was playing, and then he he said right into the mic, 
bleep and bleep, I just broke my G-string, which people outside don't really understand, yeah. but this kind of yeah. does sound funny. <laughs> True enough. <laughs> well, especially if you jump up out of your seat, <laughs> like start shifting. <laughs> so you, you still... What kind of music do you like? Do you, do, uh, I love blues music. Um, you know, that's when I was about 14, um, I guess I was about 13 when uh, Eric Clapton's Unplugged came out. Okay. Uh, and that was the one with Tears in Heaven, um, the reissue of Layla, where it was blues instead of uh, hard rock. Very slow, yeah. And um, I remember Tears in Heaven being perplexed by it because it was... N- I didn't like it at first. I didn't know how I felt about it, but it took time. It took consideration, and I realized, you know, this is something interesting. And then I got the album, listened to the rest of it, and um, I just remember stuff like Before You Accuse Me, San Francisco Bay Blues. Um, I really got involved in that kind of 12-bar, you know, blues style, you know, Chicago Shuffle, all that. And then his next album came out from The Cradle. Um, I love the Blues Brothers, um, you know, so... Anytime they name dropped somebody, um, Cripple Clarence Lofton, uh, you know, like I'd be like, okay, who's this guy? Uh, so, and then Blues Traveler came out about that same time. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm kind of referencing just the white guys, but then that took me down, you know, to John Lee Hooker and down to B.B. Oh, King, who yeah, I, yeah. I got to see him play. Johnny uh, Lee Hooker? Uh, no, B.B. King. Oh. I saw him play uh, November of 2001. Um, it was a concert. I had bought the tickets um, for me and some friends and my uh, lady at the time. And I just remember he started the show off. He's like, I, I think, you know, I love the blues, but I think we need to be a little bit happier now. So I'm going to sing a song and you can just sing along with me. Do plays You Are My Sunshine. <laughs> and That's if kinda- <laughs> there was anything that we needed at that time was to just have a whole bunch of people around you singing You Are My Sunshine. It I like was that. so cool. It would, and who would believe you, right? Yeah, and you know, but music, you know, I, I guess I keep coming back to it. Music is a way to change the world. I, you know, that Eric Clapton's song "Tears in Heaven." Yeah, I think wasn't it in the movie Rush? Rush, yes, with um, Jennifer which, Jason Lee and Jason Patrick. Which a great, another great yeah. movie. Which is, I think, the bad guy is the Greg Allman, wasn't it? The bad guy is Greg Allman. Yeah, I Greg think so. Ullman. It's for it's very druggy, sex, drugs, and rock and roll kind of a thing. And yeah, and uh, you know, and that song he wrote actually because he was high and his uh, toddler son fell out the window of a hotel. Yes, and so he wrote it for his son. So, uh, you know, definitely qualifies as blues, <laughs> right? Yes, but yeah, it, it fit. Well, and it kind of one of those things that doesn't sound like it fits in for a movie, but it does. Yeah, it's almost like when they do pop songs in the movie Slapshot. It doesn't sound like any of those songs will fit in that movie, but somehow it does fit the booby yeah yeah and that's something that uh you know we grew up in that great era of just soundtracks you know yeah. from basically from like saturday night fever on like your movie had to have a great soundtrack and i probably own most of them you speak about it because I, I was just talking to my friend when i went to see the movie the crow yeah and that was the, the song big empty from stop and pilots was in oh, that yeah. movie and you couldn't get that song you couldn't get the song yet Oh, yeah. And so the, the soundtrack came later. And it was like, I remember that summer waiting for Stone Temple Pilots' second album to come out so I can buy it just for that one <laughs> song I like. Yeah. 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 Well, and uh, that soundtrack was actually my introduction to The Cure because they've got that uh, song Burn on there. Gosh, that's another one that's a great soundtrack. Yeah. I'll, I think I have the CD somewhere. And great movie in and of itself. One I'm glad they decided not to remake. They were talking about it for a yeah. while. And there's... There's nothing to improve on in that. And I think they learned that with the most recent Evil Dead. Like, it's not that they didn't make a good movie, but they didn't improve on the original. 
Well, the whole point is why would you do another one just to make money? And then look, yeah. yeah. I think the Corolla, it's something one that you don't want to. It just fits fine. It's perfect timing of it, the darkness from it. There's yeah. a little, you know, the kid, you know, everything. Well, and, you know, I mean, such a fantastic performance from Brandon Lee showed that uh, he is an actor and not just Bruce Lee's son, not just a martial artist. Uh, there's a lot of great depth in there uh, that makes me wonder what his career would have turned to after that. Right, because that, that's when he was just starting. Yeah. He would have been, I think he would have been. Yeah, because before that he had Laser Mission. They did the Kung Fu um, television movie, uh, kind of the, their first attempted reboot. Um, Showdown in Little Tokyo, which anything with Dolph Lundgren, I'm totally in. As a, as a giant Scandinavian, i got to support my brethren. <laughs> and there was uh, Rapid Fire uh, that he made with the late Powers Booth. I and, do remember that, but yeah. yeah. And that was, uh, that was kind of his first big break, you know, where people are saying, like, Brandon Lee, son of Bruce Lee. And yeah. uh, he actually got commercials on TV for that one. Yeah. I re- that was a great movie. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think people remember that. It was actually a comic book. Yeah. And the guy who wrote the comic book, James O'Barr, James Barr, yeah, yeah. he wrote it because he that's when his girlfriend died. Oh, and then he wrote the whole crow something, the crow based on it. But if you read the comic book, it looks like the movie. I don't think I think he went through about a thousand markers to get that comic book done. Yeah, yeah. I will say I wish that they had actually gotten um, Iggy Pop for the role in the first one. Yeah, because uh, uh, well, yeah, yeah. Simony, I think he. He does in the sequel. Yeah, he's in the sequel, and it's basically like a remake of the first one. And he's playing the same character that the actor based his performance off. Uh, and that would have also, I mean, tell me, Lust for Life wouldn't have been a perfect addition to the the first Crow soundtrack. <laughs> yes, I mean, a yeah. perfectly on on the nose, but just a great song in general. Uh, I I know I do had Last Action Hero soundtrack, but I don't think I've finished the movie. <laughs> I know it. And it's worth a rewatch. Is it? Yeah. Um, it, it At the time it came out, everyone was expecting the usual action hero. I think he's especially expecting Total Recall or something like that. Yeah, but it's more of a introspection on like the genre itself. And it's self-referential and self-deprecating at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and it I do- think only Schwarzenegger could have played that. It does hurt that Jurassic Park came out the same time it did and... True. What do you want to go see, kid? You want to see this one or this one? And yeah, yeah well, and you know, I mean, that was early role for uh, Tywin Lannister, <laughs> you know, bad guy with uh, the crazy glass eye. <laughs> That's right, yeah. right. Gosh, oh my gosh, I have to go back and watch it. See, there you go. Yeah, I'm a big movie nerd. In case anyone has figured it out by now, <laughs> you you still kind of. I mean, you, obviously, you like the whole all the mainstream and stuff. Do you still kind of? Follow the underground movies or kind of the subgenres or something like that. Oh yeah, anything kung fu related. Uh, you know, martial arts in general. Um, you know, I'm on all the weird little groups and uh, still have my uh, subscription to Black Belt Magazine, even though they're about 12 pages now c- compared to the volumes we used to get. But anytime they re- mention something, uh, you know, I'll go and see it. Uh, you know, there's uh, what was a movie Triple Threat or something uh, a couple years ago. Michael Jai White. Uh, Tony Jaw and uh, I think it was Iwo Ikwai from uh, The Raid. Yes. Um, you know, great movie, and you could tell that Michael Jai White was never in the same country with the rest of them. <laughs> and seeing it, you know, having now worked in film, I don't know that anyone else picked up on it, but you can tell that they were never in the same room if you know what tricks to look for. Yeah. And it was really, from that level, it was really cool to watch. 
<laughs> kind of lame too. It's kind of funny because the, the popular movies that Michael Jai White has done was is Spawn, mm-hmm. and then he has brief appearance in The Dark Knight. Yeah, and so we only know him for fighting clowns. Yeah, <laughs> where and he's also but but he's doing kung fu movies overseas. Oh yeah, yeah. and uh, um, Blood and Bone was a good one that he made um, about I want to say ten years ago, uh, co-starring Rufio from uh, Hook. Yeah. And Rufio packed on quite a few pounds. <laughs> uh, but, you know, kind of good yeah. old kind of 80s style kung fu movie. And then. Well, then, was, yeah, that's, yeah, I like that. Yeah. yeah. One of my favorites, though, uh, he did a throwback uh, black exploitation movie called Black Dynamite, where he's basically playing like a combination of Superfly and Dolomite. Uh, and it ends with a nunchuck duel with Richard Nixon in what he calls the honky house. <laughs> This is golden. This is yes. this is actually you got you got dolomite and then yes, super yeah. oh my god. And they got, you know, the uh, the tricked out Cadillac with the propeller gold propellers over the headlights. Um, you know, he's got a hundred thousand or a hundred dollar suit, a five thousand dollar car, and he knows how to please the ladies. Absolutely insane. And if it weren't for um, uh, like Arsenio Hall and Sally Richardson Richfield, there and uh, Tommy Davidson, there's really nobody you would recognize you would swear that it was made in the 70s. It's not like I'm going to get you sucker where they make fun of it. Okay. This is a tribute. Everything feels like it was made in the 70s. I hope they have the, the cigarette burns in the corner. They intentionally put those in they, there. They do. Oh, uh, gosh. I miss those. And they have uh, like weird little, um, you know, they'll have the the microphone kind of getting into shot. <laughs> and then uh, then not. And then they'll have like a blown take. But then they'll just cut away from it. Like this guy accidentally slaps another actor, yeah. and you see him go what? And then they just cut. Cut right. <laughs> or the very. Yeah. I miss the, you know the, the underground, the ground, you know, those late seventies. Yeah. And I told my wife a long time. I miss the when the the sound turns on. The mm-hmm. I miss that so much because you know it's going to be a good grindy yeah. movie when it starts <laughs> with this when you, is, the movie yeah. and then you get. And then you get the over-blaring yellow credits. They're like, that. I missed that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's, there's just something to be said, you know, when people make movies like that, you know, it's like something that they love that they want to show everybody else. Yeah. That I, I, I appreciate that more than um, I want to make money, so I'm going to go to the middle of the road. So if somebody swings for the fences and just makes something they want to make, it's great, and that's you know one of the things I love about the Minneapolis film community is nobody you know some of us are making money, uh, but nobody's making money off of these films. Uh, this is a story we want to tell. This is uh, you know we all want to work with our friends. We want to do something crazy. Uh, we had an idea. Um, I was talking with Laura Riley about a, a movie she did a couple years ago where the team that came together. It's like, oh yeah, uh, I know how to animate Velociraptors. Cool. And then the other guy's like, actually, I've got an animation for a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Let's throw that in there, too. Cool. Just, just do it. Yeah. yeah. And then we're going to uh, hop in a time machine and go to uh, outer space. Solves yeah. it. Solves it right there. And, you know, they just we get to do all these crazy things um, with that freedom of knowing that we're not going to become millionaires on it. And um, I always uh, appreciate movies like that that just make what they want to make. Right. And sometimes it's a little more enjoyable to watch, even though it's – and you're right. The budget's small, and they have to be creative about stuff. Yeah. But sometimes it's the best. The, your limitations make you the most creative. Sometimes. Yeah. Where you're like, I don't, I don't have the money or the finances to do it. So let's just. But how will we do it this way? How about do it that way? Well, yeah. yeah. Well, you look at like the original Star Wars. You know, nobody was looking for that movie. 
nobody was looking for it to look like that. No. Uh, and they figured out, you know, I mean, they developed ta- technology uh, to, to make that movie that now sets the stage and everyone's trying to redo that again. You know, they'll always call something the next Star Wars, whether it's the Matrix or Avatar. Uh, but really, they just need to make their movie and yeah. see, you know, like Boondock Saints. You know. Yeah. Well, are they, are they doing a third one? On uh, they keep on talking about it, and I, you know, I would hope so. Uh, Sean Patrick Flannery is not looking quite as good these days, but uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I would like to see how that turns out. Unlike a lot of people, I actually like the second one. So, okay. but <laughs> I'm weird that way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're gonna take a little break and back more with Lee Fillingsness. Did I get it? Yes, sir. Ah! From the galactic depths of the comic book universe comes the ghosts of the stratosphere, ready to galvanize and energize your mind with the latest of comic book news and reviews. And why why are you stopping me? Yes, that's much better. Hi, this is Andy Larson for Ghosts of the Stratosphere. Join me every week along with my co-hosts Rob Stewart and Chad Smith as well as a cavalcade of fantastic comic book guests as we dish out heaping helpings of the greatest and latest of comic book news and reviews. New shows posted every Tuesday with bonus shows every first Friday of the month. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher under Ghosts of the Stratosphere as well as on our website www.gotstratosphere.com Hope to see you soon, folks. Back with Lee, and we're talking. Of course, we're going to talk movies, but I just rewatched um, Darkman, which is a Sam Raimi movie, of course, something with yeah. Evil Dead Army Darkness. And I guess there's a, a sequence to begin the movie where these bad guys' cars drive around and they chase cops and everything. Mm-hmm. If you can find it and you zoom it closely, one of the cars driven by the Cone Brothers. Oh, really? On set. Cool. And they were on set during the filming for the Darkman. I think they were actually doing production. Was that, I, I think that was also the first movie they brought back the uh, Oldsmobile Delta 88 for. <laughs> it's in the background of every one of Sam Raimi's movies. They even uh, they took the undercarriage off and used it for one of the uh, carriages in um, The Quick and the Dead. Really? So like the Delta 88 is in every <laughs> Sam Raimi movie. It's on the street in Spider-Man. The only reason laughing is because we, my family actually had a blue, baby blue Delta 88. Yeah, yeah. we had a red one. <laughs> so, yeah. And, like, you could you could hide a family in the trunk of those things. Oh, yeah. That was a three-kegger. Yeah, oh, yeah. Could, that could fit three kegs in that. Like yeah, it. and it wouldn't sink the suspension because they oh. knew what you were going to use it for. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot he did Quick in the Dead. Uh, the Remy did Quick in the Dead, but now that I think yeah. about it, it's very much. That was uh, Russell Crowe's first American movie. Uh, he did movies yeah. in Australia, and I think that's the first time Russell Crowe was in an American movie. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, again, 1995. Uh, was that one in uh, um, Virtuosity came out that year? He did Romper Stomper. was kind of the big uh, one that he got recognized for before yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, he kind of went under the radar for a while, and then until uh, 99 with L.A. Confidential. Which is a great movie. Yeah. Gosh, that was good. And, you know, 
not tech, but definitely noir, and uh, really, I think shows a level of sophistication in storytelling. I, I, I read the books, you know, everything Elmore Leonard ever wrote, or James Elroy rather. James uh, Elroy, yeah, yeah, yeah getting my Elmore, yeah, yeah, yeah. James Elroy, Elmore Leonard, they're they're both weird names, but uh, yeah, fantastic portrayal, and uh, you know, one of Guy Pierce's first big roles. Yep, because I was like, I think that was right after Memento, and. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for some reason they like picking up Australians. Yeah, um, LA Confidential is one of those inspirations for my comic book. I did my noir comic book, but how really how complex of a story? Oh yeah, I really want to radiate to mine. It's not much similar, but it's so I like that complexity to it. That so many cast of characters, so much involved. Yeah, because uh, with clarity, it doesn't mix. It doesn't you know so mess many you parallel storylines that only converge in little ways, You're rather right. than. Uh, you know, everyone teaming up for, you know, the final battle at the end. You've really got, because uh, you got Kevin Spacey's character, um, who was, you know, kind of the, the famous cop. Then you've got... Really you know, more care about the fame rather than the job. Yeah. yeah. But then you realize that he's a good cop, and he has that little uh, hint that he gives. Uh, Buddy, have you ever heard the name Rolo Tomasi? And that was the name that he gave the, yeah, the guy the little, that killed his brother or something. And, the little literary device, which is yeah. actually a name. Yeah. And it was just a great way to uh, to tell a story. And you don't – the villains aren't necessarily bad guys and the heroes aren't necessarily good. And it really did have yes, that, that's another thing I that feel to, to it. It, yeah. was, it was like watching it, – it actually reminded me of watching it the first time of Touch of Evil with uh, Orson Welles. And, Ooh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I have a uh, copy somewhere. I love that. Yeah. Such a great uh, – that final line, you know, uh, my, my husband was a terrible man but a good cop. <laughs> you know, like – just a, a great, great, uh, great movie. I touch evil. I love that intro. The whole but no, this it's a very Alfred Hitchcockian thing of yeah. the beginning of that movie where you're like, uh, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah that oh, that whole tension of like when is something going to happen, and you know it's around the corner. Yes, and uh, yeah, just the, building that tension so that any minor thing, uh, you know, I was actually just rewatching. Um, uh, Royal Tenenbaums for the first time in about 10 years and oh, re- realizing uh, yeah uh, kind of went on a kick with them and um, Gwyneth Paltrow's performance was the one thing I never really liked the first few times around and then I realized her whole understated thing made her moment where she breaks down because of Richie trying to kill himself that much more powerful uh, yeah. because she's so dry and so unresponsive to every external stimuli that when she, you find one thing that she cares about that can give her that emotional yeah. response. It, it gave depth to the character that a normal reading of that role wouldn't have given. When they talk about movies being in a dream world, yeah. it's exactly what a Wes Anderson is. It's almost like something that feels like it's reality, but it's something... Just to the left of it. Just the left of reality, a little bit of dreamy-like. Yeah, Yeah, and they decorated the entire movie with stuff that my grandma had in her attic. <laughs> You know, it's, it's all that weird kitty stuff. Wes did a funny commercial for whatever credit card, but <coughs> I use his credit card for one of movies, and all of a sudden he's on a crane lifting up, and these pigeons fly by, and he tells his PA, he says, those my pigeons, or are they just by accident fly in my set? I don't, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is such a Wes. Yeah, that was Did I hire way. those pigeons, or are those just came here? Whatever, yeah. Yeah, they filmed that on the set of Marie Antoinette, that uh, bomb with, uh, what's her name, uh, uh, bring it on! Um, I always forget her name. Kirsten Dunst. Oh yes, Kirsten. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they just used that set for the day. And I think that movie is one of those things that um, 
I think Sofia Coppola did a Marie Antoinette movie. Yeah. And it's very difficult because she's, you know, it's French. She's mm-hmm. France. And you're American people doing a movie about French. It's not going to translate yeah. very well bringing it to the French people who show, this is what we made. Well, they're already going to have some. Yeah. Could you imagine if people from France did a movie about, I don't know, uh, George Washington? It would be, they showed it here. And you're like, you already have some reservations about. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And. It was always interesting. I lived in Paris for a few years. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I went to the Sorbonne and the American University, American University of Paris. Okay. Um, studied uh, history, French, and international business. Um, but the the interpretations of everything uh, was really funny. Um, for a while, I'd only go see stuff with subtitles. Yeah. But then once my French got good enough, I'd go see it dubbed. And all the ways that things were mispronounced or uh, retranslated or the humor just was supposed to uh, change. The one I remember was um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, Zaphod Babelbrox, the president of the universe. Doubleheaded. Um, they changed his name to uh, Zappy Bibisi, which <laughs> okay. basically... Like, they already got a reaction yeah, out of me, yeah. But that's how they say BBC. So like that was their attempt at saying this is British humor. I, d- I still don't understand like how BBC makes more sense than Beeblebrox. But uh, yeah, the the other one was, uh, you'll appreciate this, a comic book nerd. Uh, ben Affleck's Daredevil came out while I was there. Went to uh, okay. cinema on the Champs-Élysées, like, uh, je voudrais un billet pour Daredevil? Quoi? Daredevil, le film avec Ben Affleck? Oh, say Dardville. And, and one of the very few times I just wanted to yell at somebody, I'm like, no, 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 no. It is not pronounced Dardville. It's Daredevil. We made the guy. <laughs> He's the man with no fear. His name is Daredevil. Daredevil. Right. And that's, I guess that's to understand that a lot of things that intentionally look for them and their culture looks action-packed. Yeah. Which it's a little bit off here. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite directors, Sam Fuller, who worked for MGM? He mm-hmm. did a lot of pulpy movies that Tarantino like, you know, pick up on South Street and Forty Guns and House of Bamboo, and they're very oh, yeah. grimy, grimy. That didn't get a lot of popularity here, but in France, were very well celebrated. So much that he went over and lived over there because he liked his movie so much. And yeah, yeah, and it's just weird that now I think now people are now TMC ran a film festival of his, and mm-hmm. and he worked for MGM. He was a big movie producer. He just made a lot of low-budget movies and you made them gonzo style sometimes that just over there they appreciate much more than we did over here well i think if you look at uh, directors like tarantino and kevin smith um, as good as they are they wouldn't have been recognized if french cinema you know specifically the Cannes film festival for both of them hadn't recognized the genius and those very much are in the style of french films french new waves Yeah. yeah well i mean they're character driven you know they're Loosely, very loosely. Yeah. Doesn't I mean, look, yeah. Tell me what the plot of Clerks is. Two guys hang out in a store. <laughs> I got to have a hockey game. Yeah. <laughs> I Are you hockey? sure you were open? Uh, and Oh, and there's <laughs> these two drug dealers just hang out outside the door. They, they occasionally say weird things. Like, it doesn't make sense on paper, but um, the French audience is willing to watch uh, some amazing stuff. I got into um, like Francois Truffaut, um, Romain Dury, uh, Cédric Lapiche, uh, a few other really good directors while I was there. And... You just start to see that we're so focused on story, yeah. like A, then B, then C, that we sort of lose who the characters are. The characters just become these um, basically uh, victims of a storyline rather than participants in it. And they don't 
make things move other than Tony Stark making a big choice. And then everyone else has to respond to that and act emotional. Uh, the, yeah. You really start to see um, characters interacting with the world even as they're kind of moving along this in, makes in sense. a storyline. Yeah, because yeah, I've, I've heard many people that are foreigners as American movies are too linear. Like you want mm-hmm. it to like this goes to this to this and it's just we, we nobody really doesn't like that so much a linear story. Yeah, there was this uh, probably my favorite movie that I saw while I was over there. Still one of my top ten of all time. It's a movie called uh, L'Auberge Espagnol, The Spanish Apartment. And it's about this uh, kid from Paris that um, he gets offered a tentatively offered a job but he needs to like kind of understand spanish and spain okay so he goes to barcelona where they don't speak spanish they speak catalan and um has this amazing adventure that um you know it's about friendships it's about sex it's about um coming to terms with his his mother and his father who've been uh disconnected and all these weird relationships and it's it's become a trilogy and it's never nobody's ever been sacrificed for the story everyone's a part of it okay but everyone moves through it and um if you get the chance watch them all uh it's uh the spanish apartment russian dolls and um chinese something and they're all they're all a trilogy they all yeah. kind of fit together yeah starring uh, roman Dury, which he's been in a couple american movies i think most um Le Divorce was kind of the biggest one of he was right. in. Right. Okay. Uh, now he, you get He played my, the guy okay. that uh, play, with the crazy hair. Yes. By the way, I think I'm in the background of a shot of that. You think? Uh, uh, yeah. On location. Yeah. They were filming on the Champs-Élysées, um, and I had been in Paris for about a month at that point, and I saw a Stockard Channing, very striking woman, and I waited for a break in filming, and it's not like a set here. Um, I was able to just walk right up to her and I'm like, I'm sorry, Miss Channing, I'm a big fan of yours. And we spent a while talking about um, Six Degrees of Separation. The Will Smith. Yeah. And what an amazing movie that was. And, you know, I kind of told her how inspiring that was for me. And uh, this is frightening because before we recorded <coughs> last night, I just for fun, I watched the, uh, the Paul Newman Twilight movie where oh, she's yeah. in it as a detective that has, still has a soft spot for Paul Newman's character. Yeah. It's called Twilight, which. That whole series ruined it, but if you can find it, it's very, very low note noir story. But Stalker plays good at that. She, yeah, she brings it out. But she was very generous with her time. Uh, she signed my journal, and there was a, a young actress there, blonde, pretty, I who I had assumed was French, till I saw the movie, and it was Kate Hudson. And I was talking <laughs> to Stalker Channing for Let's fifteen minutes, and Kate Hudson is just sitting there being ignored by this. <laughs> I, at the time, I was, you know, I had just moved to France, so I was still very American. I'm pretty sure I was dripping denim that day, uh, you and know. And, yeah. and here's this beast of a man, you know, that is gushing over Stocker Channing. I, I think I said hello to her. I had no idea who she was, but I was just starstruck by Stocker Channing. You know, I mean, it's come on, it's Rizzo. <laughs> right. She was and in Cobra. She was. Uh, she was very close to being Lois Lane in the Superman movie. It was that pretty much been a cool take. It was pretty much down to her and Margaret Kidder. They were both were doing yeah. front of, and if you ever somewhere on YouTube her audition for being Lois, it's actually pretty good. They did they actually did a screen test of Christopher Reeve and her on the balcony. Yeah. And the whole the whole having dinner on the balcony on what was that scene with her um, the whole dinner. Oh the, yeah, the, the can you hear my thoughts the Yeah, yeah. the whole dialogue. Yeah, you know, they they actually did a test of her and Stalker and it was actually pretty good. Hmm. I, I'm it's but just Margot did one at all but yeah it would have been weird to see her playing lois yeah yeah i was just pretty close to doing it 
It would have been an inter- interesting take, but I, I would definitely believe her as a as a ace reporter. You know, no nonsense. Prisoners. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's one thing I never really got from Amy Adams. Or uh, no, was it Amy Adams in the most recent one? Yeah, with her and Henry. Yeah, yeah. I I'd never really got her. She just didn't seem Lois-y to me. No, and, and even the one that they had with uh, Superman Returns, Kate, what's her name, Bosworth. Yeah, it just didn't really. Even though he was to me, yeah, he was really good at being Christopher Reeve, and he actually used to go to my gym when I lived in Des Moines. Brandon, Ru- Brandon uh, Routh, yeah, uh, him and um, that '70s show guy uh, Kelso, um, Ashton. On Ashton Kutcher, yeah. Yeah. They both used to go to uh, Seven Flags in West Des Moines. Uh, I had a membership since, uh, I think, 1987. And it was just before I moved away that they both started working out there. I'm not going to claim that I ever knew them, but... Um, okay. They, uh, right, because they both come yeah. from Iowa. Yeah. yeah. But my... Uh, and so does Jason Momoa. <laughs> so there's some weird connections there. But um, my dad was friends with the owner of Seven Flags for a long time. Uh, and... Um, we found out about this. Uh, the other weird connection there, Persis Kambata was a member. Uh, she was the bald chick in the first uh, Star Trek movie. Oh. So she yeah. had hair. Yeah. And she was a, she was a very nice lady. Uh, when I met her, I was a kid, and I couldn't have cared less <laughs> about her being in Star Trek. She was just a very nice lady. Um, <laughs> that so happened to me when I was a kid, and I used to play hockey in the early 80s and somehow down in my hockey rink phil housley came and was signing people's sticks right and he's he's a pro he went pro right after high school and this is when he was a couple of years in the nhl and everybody was like hey he's signing hockey sticks and my dad's like you want him to sign your stick i was like nobody's gonna mess up my stick <laughs> <laughs> i love it i don't want anybody ruining my gumming up my stick no <laughs> now that's a true hockey player <laughs> Yeah. If I'm going to wreck my stick, it's going to be me. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he can sign my pads. <laughs> Do you have a favorite foreign film? There's a one that's like an automatic for you that always catches you. I don't know. Would like something like Seven Samurai something? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, it's hard for me to say favorites aside from Empire Strikes well, Back. I know yeah. it's, it's hard, but something um, that you really appreciate or something that's on your mind right now that you like you know i mean you say seven samurai but i really have to kind of go to yojimbo i uh, do like that one that's a kurosawa's yeah know. and you know that was kurosawa's attempt at making a western samurai movie and then it got copied by making a samurai western last uh, by, uh, well even before that with a uh, fistful of dollars the whole any mccorney uh or the uh the spaghetti western was based yeah. on kind of remaking the samurai movies and when Isn't you look hilarious? at uh, oh yeah, and when it's, you look at Clint Eastwood, just, he's doing that. I'm, it's, it's hilarious because it's Kurosawa's interpretation of what a western is, mm-hmm. and then we take their interpretation of a western is and make it a different form of a western. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah, and, yeah, and then uh, George Lucas takes Hidden Fortress and makes Star Wars. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think Kurosawa, what was it? He took his interpretation of uh, Macbeth. Was it a how? Uh, oh, a, um, blood something. Throne of Blood. Throne of Blood, yeah. which has the best authentic-looking getting shot through arrows on film yeah. ever. Well, especially because uh, they were shooting real arrows, and Mifune is absolutely terrified that he's going to get hit as he's running around. Right. So, yeah, if you didn't know, Kurosawa actually hired expert archers to intentionally miss him. And if I, and he is actually it's pretty dang close to getting him. And I think they do actually hit him sometimes. Yeah. 
and well it's it's like uh they did that again with um coppola in um the heart of darkness is the documentary based on it but um apocalypse uh, apocalypse now yeah. um they actually are firing you know very small bamboo arrows at uh, the PBR as it's going down the river, but like they're getting hit by these things, and you know they have to be aerodynamic, so they are shaped and they are tipped, and um, a lot of the actors uh, that were in that uh, ended up getting little welts and everything. But I think even Lawrence Fishburne lied about his age. Yeah, in that movie, I think he said he was nineteen, and I think he yeah, was, was actually sixteen. Yeah, and you know, yeah. and um, uh, Harrison Ford was in that for like a couple minutes. Yeah. 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 But he did kid. that one, and because uh, he was kind of on loan from George Lucas, he was his kid guy from uh, Carpenter. Uh, yeah. Oh, and he, he had, I think at that point he had done American Graffiti. He was Bob Falfa in that. Yeah. And then they went on to make uh, the Frisco Kid and uh, Force Ten from Navarone. Frisco Kid with Gene Wilder. Yeah. Yeah, which is kind of like if you tap Gene Wilder and Harrison Ford. Yeah, they actually did a movie together. Yeah, <laughs> where Harrison Ford is a cowboy and Gene Wilder is a rabbi. <laughs> Yep. Everything that you think happened in that movie without seeing it happened in that movie. <laughs> there's explosions. It's yeah. bad, there's bad ethnic jokes in there. Yeah, and uh, it's enjoyable, but you it, you have to appreciate that it's also bad. <laughs> there's a one another one that I think you find at Amazon Prime, Harrison Ford, um, Hanover Street, that gets overlooked. That I think it's it's oh. considered like a rom yeah. comedy, but he plays a. American pilot on loan to help the British fight the war. That's then, right. I forgot about the, that. It's a little bit of, it's a li- yeah, it's a little bit of romance more than an action movie, but I actually do appreciate there's some very good stuff in it, actually. Yeah. Uh, getting back to your question on foreign films, um, I've really got to throw um, Hero up there. Uh, From China? Yeah. Directed by uh, Zhang Yimou. Yeah. Um, you know, Jet Li um, and. Um, Trying to remember uh, uh, everybody that was in it, but it's just this amazing telling, and it's from a cinematic standpoint, the choices that the DP made, that the director made, um, in terms of color of the various different stories that they tell, uh, because yeah. everything is kind of stripped away. There are so many lies, and they only find certain truths. Yep. Um, and when they finally strip everything down, you go from this amazing Hong Kong style action to a very brutal fight. It almost feels like two movies into one. Yeah. If I remember going seeing this in the theater, yeah, it's very sweeping, epic yeah. story. But then you have a little more intense fighting. And it starts with this amazing fight between Jet Li and Donnie Yen, um, spear versus sword, which is uh, from a fight choreography standpoint, spear is very hard to choreograph for. Not that it's hard to use. But to shoot with a camera, the sword is a, the reason why we know so much about swords is they're perfect for film because you can have two characters in frame. They're not too far away from each other yeah. uh, and you can kind of swing and you can cheat and you can make it look you can like find in danger, but you can yeah. keep it safe. Uh, a spear doesn't have the same thing. You're always outside of danger with it. So to choreograph so that the character is in peril. Wow. Um, is a little bit trickier. And so it, it was this big choice between the two of them to do this fight. Um, and then you go through, and then suddenly you have this crazy wuxia style uh, for the later fights where, you know, they're, uh, you know, fighting hails of arrows. You know, yeah, that's what, uh, the, yeah. I was... uh, and, you know, beautiful stuff, uh, places that had never been filmed before. Um, and you have this black and white fight for the first one, and then you have everything is in greens or in blues or in reds. And then finally, once it's white, you get down to the truth of it. 
and it's this uh, great historical um, thing. And it's it's a story like uh, Hamlet or King Arthur that has been told in cinema so many times in China. Um, but I think from a technical standpoint, this is the best version of it. I, I agree. When I went to see it in a theater, it's almost like you want to see it again. Yeah. Because you almost feel there's so much in it. It's yeah. very, uh, uh, just going from a memory, it looks like it's very full. There's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's one that does bear rewatching. Because when you, when you know what to look for the second time, you're finding little details. Yeah. Uh, and I always love that. Uh, you know, yeah. when there's certain movies like uh, Usual Suspects. When you watch it the second time, you get to say, oh. And you get yeah. to see, like, all this stuff. You know, they're, they're doing the perfect magician thing. Look, look at this. Here's yeah. the truth. <laughs> and it's yeah, crazy. Watch this hand. Yeah. It's fascinating. I actually got to, I got an invitation to the Magic Castle, which is the fraternity mm -hmm. house in L.A. If you haven't got a chance, yeah. you, get, you get invited. You don't, you don't, you have to get invited to go, and I get to get invited. And it's wonderful to see authentic, good magic up close. Yeah. Like two inches from you when somebody doing a simple card trick. Yeah. And you're like, I'm going to, I'm full. I got it. I'm going to dial in. And then you're like, no, you didn't. Or how did you do that? Or it's on your persons. That's what freaks you out the most is when they do a magic trick and he says, oh, you picked the seven hearts. Yeah. Well, I don't have it. You did. And you look down, you're like, oh my. yeah, <laughs> that, that's really, I know, I know it's not real, but your mind says it's real because it's filling in the blanks for you. But that's really, I mean, it's really good. I remember um, right around 2002 when they made the new 20s, this poor magician had decided, uh, yeah, who in the crowd has a $20 bill? Oh, no, not that one. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, you've got an old 20 as your... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yep. The transition to the old $20 yep. bill. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just, <laughs> I felt so bad for him. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, dude, we all know what happened. Sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, it's movies are, well, that's who the first person people that are made movies were magicians. Yeah. Um, George Malay and all that. Yeah. And it's still kind of regarded as almost magic of being a magician. That was something that I was very fortunate to um, be able to experience. I did a thing at the Pompidou Center in Paris on Georges Medier. Um, and if anybody out there is uh, unfamiliar, go watch the movie Hugo, which got completely overlooked, but am amazingly well done. Uh, but uh, he basically invented special effects. Pretty much, uh, yeah. You know, because suddenly you just have this realm where you you're not just pointing a camera at something and saying there it is you can make up you know a trip to the moon uh we can watch star wars we can do all this amazing stuff um just with tricks and imagination and uh craziness and it was uh seeing that in paris and then having uh, the proctors talking about uh yeah or sorry, the docents talking about what's going on, why this is important, um, you know, and that they went in and colored their frames and, you know, one by one. So you, you'll see these weird waves and it's like, oh yeah, they didn't have some guy with a computer no. doing this. Right. Well, even uh, my dad did uh, uh, special effects, you know, long time ago. He actually worked with the company that made Captain Power, um, a good friend of my dad's. If 
if you're old, you'll remember that show, but it was a TV show where you had the toys that would interact on television. Okay. Um, and so you'd have a plane and you could shoot the bad guys uh, on television. They could shoot you back and you'd kind of tally the score at the end. Uh, but uh, they did that. And some of them went on to actually make um, Space Jam. And I remember seeing cells for that years before it ever came out. It took that long to yeah. do. Right. But uh, I remember helping him render um, effects that would take months. And then I was making a movie with uh, uh, Abby Aerosmith and Kyle Thornton here in town, I want to say three years ago. And they were just doing some green screen stuff, and they wanted me to kind of walk forward. And they're going to be like, okay, well, we're going to render this. And in my head, I'm like, well, I'm never going to see that. 20 minutes later, they pull me in to show me me walking out of this time portal. And I'm like that used to be weeks of work yeah because it was yeah it was it, you know i mean it was film you know and this is like the early 90s that i did this and then suddenly you know in the mid 2010s you can do this quick and easy and painless and you know it would have looked better than anything that i had spent weeks on just the the test shot that they did right so pretty cool stuff. I think it. What is it? Sky Captain: The World Tomorrow. The first one was a hundred percent green screen. Yeah, that's the first one. I think. Yeah, and it's a fun movie. I don't think. I don't think people got the concept. It was supposed to be a little bit of a serial, kitschy throwback kind of Tony and the Pirates or, kind of. Yeah, yeah. And it, it was fun, but I, I also think some of the actors didn't get what they were doing. I think the only one that did was Giovanni Ribisi. He really seemed to know what movie he was in. Yeah. But Jude Law never did. Um, well, I think it's because the whole new idea of it. Yeah. I think it's uncomfortable. I mean, here's the table, here's cups. Surround you is green. I don't get right? Yeah. I think everybody, everything was so brand new that even like it doesn't really present it. But I think that's, isn't that the first one that's 100% green screen? Yeah, it is. Uh, and I remember being blown away when I watched it. Right, yeah. It's kind of forgettable. So every time I rewatch it, it's like seeing it for the first time. There's moments uh, that I'll remember, but the whole plot of the movie just keeps coming back, um, you know, every time I see it. Uh, and, um, you know, after that, you've, you've got a few, but uh, I think, you know, like I said, Giovanni Ribisi was the only one that got it, but he was one of those journeyman actors. It's like, I will do what you tell me to and give me this paycheck. Because, I mean, he started off on My Two Dads and he did uh, – you know the mod squad which was horrible <laughs> but he the, showed the up movie and, version of it yeah. yeah but he showed up and he did his job and then um you know i thought he was great in uh, private ryan he played the medic yep um yeah. and he's had you know on again off again he had a very weird role in ted uh <laughs> he was the creepy guy that uh wanted to steal him and uh, a million ways to die in the west he was in there he's always funny and he's always he's always willing to put in work wherever yeah. the director tells him to so it was his sister that Matthew McConaughey was hitting on at Days Confused. She had the bright orange mm. hair. That's his sister. That I didn't know. That's Giovanni's sister. Oh, wow. Yeah. So um, before we, uh, yeah, that was, I think that was Matthew McConaughey had a thing for redheads, and that was her. Yeah. <laughs> Might as well. <laughs> oh, Lee, thanks for coming, man. Yeah. This was a lot of fun. I love talking about movies is always, for me, the best conversation. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I love them. That's one of the reasons why I like making them uh, when I'm, you know, on the worst day on set that I've ever had, I'm still making movies with my friends. And growing up as a weird kid in Iowa where there wasn't much to do, I watched all the movies. And now I get to be in them and I get to show uh, my nieces and nephews all the cool stuff. And we watch movies together whether I'm in them or not. And Oh, man, I showed my nephews. They're, they're still 
Well, one's gonna about to be ninth grade, one's gonna be in sixth grade, and they're kind of another one. I show them the last Starfighter. They loved it, dude. I was like, nice. still, it still works for you guys. All right, yeah, yeah. yeah. I saw that for my sixth birthday. Really? Um, yeah. I, my dad took uh, me and a couple of my friends to see it, um, and absolutely blew me away. Um, I still watch that every so often. Uh, still fun. Um, I love that. Uh, the salesman guy, his uh, recruiter, was the music man. Yes. <laughs> and what a great final role for him. It <laughs> was. It fit, it fit him, yes. Yeah, it's right up there with Raul Julia being in uh, Street Fighter. But they were like, hesitant. oh, this is an old movie. And it's like, it's, I think give it a chance. And, of course, it's, you play the arcades and you do a high score, you know. So, yeah. so get on your Fortnite. Maybe you get recruited to save a galaxy. <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. think my nephews need to play any more Fortnite. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Lee. Well, uh, again, thanks for coming. And I think you already know it's not over till the guest says it's over. I guess that means it's over. 